Welcome to Supply Chain Now, the voice of global supply chain. Supply Chain Now focuses on the best in the business for our worldwide audience, the people, the technologies, the best practices, and today's critical issues, the challenges and opportunities. Stay tuned to hear from those making global business happen right here on Supply Chain Now. Hey, good afternoon, everybody. Scott Luton, Greg White with you right here on the Supply Chain Buzz and Supply Chain Now. Welcome to today's live stream. Gregory, how are we doing? I think we're doing all right. How are we doing? How are you doing? Uh, doing good. Doing good. Yeah. I can't complain. Uh, good weekend. Great Ooh. weather. Got outside. Got some work, work done as we continue to remake the backyard. And uh, so I can't complain at all. How about you? No pictures. It didn't happen, Scott Luton. Come on now. You got to share that stuff. <laughs> we will. We will. Um, but so today, Greg, right yeah. here, it is uh, Manufacturing Monday right here on The Buzz with our friends at AME, the Association for Manufacturing Excellence. And we've got we've got what has become a legend, uh, a growing legend here on The Buzz. That is Billy Taylor, who's a member of the board of directors with AME. So Looking forward to him joining us in the stream about 1225 or so. How about you, Greg? Yes, I'll be joining in the stream as well. <laughs> <laughs> How about me? Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Always looking forward to hearing what Billy Ray has to say. I feel like we're in uh, trading places every time I I see him. <laughs> looking good, Winthorpe. <laughs> well, yes, he does. That's a That's throwback, always. isn't it? It is a throwback. Um, but he's got a big project he's been working on. He might he might yeah. touch on that. But but regardless, it's all about manufacturing. So uh, we've got I think three stories teed up before we uh, jump into a conversation with Billy, and we better go yeah. ahead and get down to business. So, Greg, let's start before we say hello to a few folks. Let's start with a couple of programming notes here. Yeah, let's do that. So June twenty second. That is next week already. Gosh, it's our it's almost already the second half of June. You blink, and it's going to be 2022. But for now, we are focused on June 22nd, where Ping is going to come talk about their supply chain transformation with our friends from John Galt. So join, make sure you join and register for this special session, June 22nd. Greg, last week we had a webinar, and, man, the feedback we've gotten from that has been a bit, not quite overwhelming, but it's been uh, it's made the whole team here feel pretty good. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, yes, it made everyone feel pretty good. I think, um, you know, when we can get as many community members interested in the in the topics that these companies are sharing, I think it's exciting. And, hey, we get a double bonus here. It's golf and supply chain and especially ping. That's right. So, you know, I'm, I'm pretty excited. And who knows? Peter Bole might, be, might just be a ping spokesperson one day. He's been working on his golf game. More on that in just a moment. But, folks, make sure you register for the June 22nd webinar, and you can find that link in the show notes. Okay, so this is one of our favorite movies, Sideways. So, June, again, we're taking a page out of the PBS telethon uh, book, but we don't need your money. We're asking you for the month of June, throughout the month of June, for your subscriptions to our podcasts, various yeah. podcasts, and your reviews, right? We want to get your feedback. That helps us get the word out about all of our programming when you review any of our podcasts. So, you know, old Paul Giamatti, I can't remember his character's name in Sideways, but he he, he was a harsh 
critic and reviewer of anyone that touched his lips. Really? I'm hoping, yeah, I'm hoping our critics. Oh, you haven't seen Sideways, Greg? I haven't. No, I. I feel like I should, but somebody said it was there was some dark aspects to it, and I think I <laughs> fearfully steered clear of it. Well, it is funny, and if you like wine, you can relate to some of this stuff too. So, y'all check out. Uh, we we invite you to subscribe. We invite you to review, and most importantly. Thanks for all the support we're getting from across the global community. Yeah, we've gotten some great input. All right. Uh, we talked about this a couple times last week. You're going to hear a lot more about it as, a, as the speakers continue to get filled in for the Supply Chain Insights Global for, uh, Global Summit. Almost misspoke. September 7th to the 9th. Uh, join us. you got to register for this as well. The link's in the in the comments. And, folks, Greg, Laura Cesare is building quite, a, quite an event in September. Laura Cesare. Enough said. I mean, seriously, if that, if that doesn't define um, knowledge and neutrality and expertise, I don't, I don't know what does. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to this. The quality of uh, participants and of the content that you get at this thing is super powerful. And here's a here's a worth little... the cost of admission. Oh, sorry, Scott. No, that well, was an awkward delay, wasn't it? <laughs> It is worth the pro cost of admission, and there's no sponsors. There's no sponsors for this event. So you're getting yeah. unbiased uh, movers and shakers, uh, leaders across supply chain that are really using supply chain to make the world a better place for everybody. So y'all check that out and join us. And then uh, well, before we say hello to everybody, I, I had to share this. So, you know, we, we've got a, a page set up for all of our podcasts. And uh, on This Week in Business History, our team's been really good about you know, making posts like this, which kind of takes a little uh, business milestone or, or achievement from from world history and, and throwing it in our channel, right? So this <laughs> this post here, Greg, from a few days ago, was all about uh, an American balloonist who made the first transatlantic ocean crossing and landed mm -hmm. in Paris, France, right? Yeah. Well, our friend Sean right. said their baggage went to Miami. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I love a good sense of humor. And uh, Sean, as I mentioned on your on my response back to you here, you won the internet with this response here. It's yeah. the simple things. It's the simple things. Okay. So, Greg, uh, before we dive into our first story, let's say hello to a few folks. What you think? Let's do that. All right. Let me see if There's I can a few folks up. here. Holy mackerel. Shrinivas is back with us once again from India. Hopefully, this finds you and your family well, and we're getting – Hopefully we're getting some more better news from the pandemic, uh, the second wave that y'all have been experiencing in India. But but we're all experiencing it together. We've got some good news to share on, on the global effort here momentarily. But Srinivas, thanks for joining us via LinkedIn. Sharif, also via LinkedIn. Sharif, let us know where you're dialed in from. We'd love to – it's always neat to put a, a name and a face with a place. So yeah. uh, join us. Uh, let us know where you're tuning in from. Peter Bollet, all night and all day, Greg. Special message to PB. What you got, Greg? Uh, keep the projects coming. Man, this dude's busier in retirement than he ever was at work, I think. And that's that's right. saying something. <laughs> and he retired from Air Canada. Uh, yeah. He's got a bunch of great stories. We enjoyed hey, this. Do you sense, though, that he is thinking about going back? I think he might need a break from all these projects and <laughs> – He's he's a project manager. I tell you that much. And to your point, sure. he stays busy, uh, and yeah. he he gives a lot of his free time as well. So Peter, we're going to talk about you like you're not here, but love your coaching and your charitable efforts, and of course, 
Uh, you'll see a bunch of great comments from him today. So, Peter, great to see you. Mervin. Hello, Mervin from Dublin. Uh, right? Dublin. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, that's right. And thanks for your recipe suggestion in the Supply Chain Now Insiders group. We're going to have that this week. I can't remember the name of it. Amanda will probably drop it in the comments. But uh, we look forward to exploring Rex via LinkedIn has joined us. Hello. Hello, Rex. Tell us where you're you're dialed in from. Let's see here. So Hershad is asking you specifically, Greg, about supply chain certifications. So we get that question a lot. We and do. Always, what's your take on that, Greg? I mean, I think for for the money, the best you can get is a is some sort of degree or certification from a university. I love some of the free programs, the um gosh, I cannot remember the outlet, but it's MIT, the way that right? going to Harvard. What's that? MIT. Yeah, MIT, Stanford, uh, and a number, I think even Georgia Tech have some free courses. Um, I'm not sure the certification is as important as the knowledge is. Mm. The unfortunate happenstance for some of these certifications is they teach you old regimen, right? Best practices we were talking about. We talked about a lot last week, Scott. Best practice is the best excuse for doing things the way we've always done them. <laughs> so, so I think there because supply chain is is transitioning, I take a very close look at university programs, even their free courses. Now, if a certification is required, ASCMs are always the most highly recognized. But if you want real knowledge and valuable and relevant knowledge, I would say the MIT, Stanford, and other schools that, gosh, they can put it out there free on a certain platform. And I can't believe I'm completely blanking on it. Yep. Maybe Clay, formerly known as Malcolm, can do a little <laughs> research. So. And also check out LinkedIn Learning. There's a lot of great knowledge across LinkedIn Learning as yeah, well. Yeah, so. and that's incredibly relevant too. And SCM Dojo, which is really good as well. That's yeah. relevant and by any standard affordable. Yeah, that's a great point. SCM Dojo. Let's see if we can't put a link for that in the comments. It's a great call out, Greg. Simon is back with us via LinkedIn. How now, brown cow? Simon, hope this finds you well. T-Square, who holds down the fort for us on YouTube, waiting for that good smorgasbord of supply chain nourishment. I'm with you. And well, hello to everyone else that we could not quite get to. But we've got to jump into this news here. Yeah. Um, what a busy week, Greg. And we're going to start before, before again, Billy Taylor's going to be joining us um, about 1225 or so. We've got a little bit of, of, of heavy lifting to do before we have Billy join us. So let's jump into, let's see here, this first story, Greg. So on this manufacturing Monday here on the buzz, want to jump off and kick off the feed with some feel-good collaboration news, even if it is a little bit political. That's okay. Um, so according to the Associated Press, the G7 leaders, and by the way, the G7 is about to be G8. It's going to be G7 plus Greg. So the G8, uh, Greg, just, <laughs> he hasn't shared that news with everybody. Uh, so the G7 is finding some common ground in their recent summit. They're agreeing to a couple things here. So a billion vaccine doses to countries in need, and that's going to be a um, kind of a work in progress. Um, the the hardcore commitment what wasn't quite at a billion, but as all the leaders agreed to, they're going to get there and then some. Minimum tax, which is depending on your take, may not be good news, but minimum tax of fifteen percent on large multinationals. A new global infrastructure. Just got a lot of activity over the weekend as we were talking on social about it. A new global infrastructure fund to compete 
with China's Belt and Road Initiative, right? China's been making, um, really growing their global influence with this, uh, this and other initiatives, and and the G7 are looking to to team up. Uh, and then the Biden administration, speaking of China, they're really looking to build a stronger, more action-focused, united front uh, to tackle human rights and fundamental freedoms. Uh, some of those concerns in China. So, Greg, I know G7, uh, you know, different takes from a lot of different folks there. They got beat up uh, on Twitter, at least over the weekend or across social for kind of how they took the photo ops. That was kind of funny. But Greg, in terms of real collaboration, some of these tackle, some of these issues they're trying to tackle, what's your take? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's um, admirable that they're attempting, especially some of these companies countries attempting to remain relevant and and to spread the uplift around outside the G7 and, uh, and not make it sort of a, a club. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of good that can come out of this. Obviously, the one billion vaccine um, initiative is powerful. And of course, uh, they've taken a lot of heat for not having done it up to this point. Um, China, look, I don't think it's unclear how I feel about China and right. I don't think it's unclear about how most uh, world leaders feel, feel about China. And they're right. China is the greatest existential threat to the entire world on virtually every front, freedom, economics, human rights, sustainability. Um, and the one concern I have about this is because we, so many of the G seven countries, including the United States are beholden to China that we're, tap dancing a little bit when we should be taking a stronger stance. Um, but, and, and then of course the, the corporation taxing thing that is mostly beneficial to the States because so many of the countries that in the G seven, uh, that don't have it, they already have a much lower tax rate in many of these countries than the U S does. And what they're trying to do is keep countries from fleeing the United States. However, that will not stop the usual suspects, the Netherlands, um, Vanuatu, and um, other countries. It will put the brakes on Ireland's policies around that in as much as they're to the extent that they are or submit to UK rulings. But I think the, the big corporations have long since, they've long since eschewed the double Irish Dutch sandwich for other um tax protection moves. So, you know, I think there, I think there's some goodness there. Hopefully the States will follow so many of these company and lower right. corporate taxes. Um, but I don't see that as being the case. I think this is a preemptive measure for the States for when the inevitable corporate tax increase comes, that makes it more difficult for us companies to flee to lower tax areas. Excellent point. Excellent point, and a lot to digest. And we'll see what come. We'll, we'll see what real action comes out of the G seven summit. Um, Gary Smith, going back to your best best practice comment, says today's best practice is tomorrow's table stakes. How about that? And Gary is celebrating an anniversary, and I'm not sure which one. So Clay or Amanda, if you could fill me in, so we can celebrate right there with him. Sharif is from the UAE. I tell you, there's a ton of really cool things and business. Man, taking place there. He's asking about outsourcing procurement and how it's impacting OPEX. We might save that. We're going to talk a little bit about um, uh, similar cousin topics on that one, but Sharif will try to get to that as well. Yeah. Uh, Oh, 
Gary is celebrating his 41st wedding anniversary. So wow. congratulations, Gary. Um, let's see here. Hello, David. Hello, Muhammad. Hello, Pratik. Great to see everyone here today. I want to share one more comment here. And um, let's see, Alay and Azalea. Great to see you. Um, and I cannot find it. Just like memory is back. They yeah, memory's back. Is right. Memory is back. <laughs> I'm sure she'll have some uh, comments around certifications. So we'd love for y'all. You know, memory. Uh, we had some earlier questions around the best supply chain certification. So we'd welcome your your comments there in the in the comments and cheap seats. Okay. Curious if Sylvia is back in the States. She was visiting her mother in Germany. So I have a feeling she had some of my favorite food on the planet. So I wonder, <laughs> how's your mom, first of all? And how was the trip? Yes, we need some pictures, Sylvia. So this Amen. LinkedIn user, and we're, we're going to get his or her name, folks, if y'all could let me know. When did a minimum tax do anything good the last time? Can't remember it. So kind of echoing some of your comments there, I believe, Greg. And we'll see who who that is. That might be Korai, uh, Kose, but we'll see. All right. So let's keep let's keep trucking. We've got this next um topic. So you know, talking about the Biden administration, the yeah. White House supply chain uh review report has been released. And Greg, I think you've got a take or two on this, right? Yeah. So I have to tell you, as all things government, I was <laughs> I feel like uh, Ron, what's his name from, from Parks and Rec? All government is bad. Um, but, but there are certain things that governments and politicians know. One, how to schmooze. Two, how to get reelected. Aside from that, uh, it's how to write laws. Uh, but but I, So I was a little bit, I was a lot skeptical that there would be much of value here. And I think what is of value in this report is probably not what most supply chain practitioners expect, but the beauty of it is it allows supply chain to leverage the support and leverage the um, uplift that government intends to give to some core elements of the supply chain, things like semiconductors and rare earth minerals and various and sundry other things, clean water, all of those things that keep the supply chain the core, the foundation of the supply chain strong mm. um, and start to reshore some of these things, which I think um, enable reshoring, I should say, reshoring some of these things which should never have gone away. You know, I'm a big Puerto Rico fan. I have a ton of of, of friends there and uh, pharma used to run out of Puerto Rico. And when those incentives went away, that really hurt not just the, the Puerto Rico economy, which ultimately bankrupted, but also um, it, it hurt our ability to sustain our own supply of mm. pharmaceuticals, which, of course, we felt very significantly during the COVID right. era. So uh, I think there's a lot of enablement in this that's really powerful. There's not going to be a lot of action. And, you know, in this day and age, I, I feel compelled to say that because I think we more and more expect government to do things for us. That's not what this is about. This is about, well, it's primarily about enabling some foundations that stabilize the that stabilize the core or the foundation of the supply chain. So, and well, and and it's also about some. There will be some favored nation status for brother-in-law deals for politicians and that sort of thing. So. Uh, that's that's to be expected. That's just sort of the world we live in, and we're stuck with it. But 
but in at the same time, we'll get some really good value from from this. Agreed. And of course, we're talking about uh, the White House supply chain uh, review report that came out. I think a 100 day review is what they did. Uh, and hey, you know, at least if nothing else, and we've, we've commented on this for a couple of years now, at least our politicians are saying the word supply chain. more. Yeah, often that's right. So. I mean, that's a really excellent point. If if there is any positive that that this COVID crisis has brought out, it is the awareness. The intervention, I'm not as high on, but this is precisely the kind of intervention that we would like to have. Don't do it for us, just enable us to do it for ourselves. That's yep. the job of government. Nerfod makes an appearance. Nerfod is is the newly deemed Seinfeld of supply chain. <laughs> so we had a nice little back and forth over the weekend. Nerfod, welcome back. Hope your family uh, are doing well. He says, you get more talk than action with government. Mm. Uh, unfortunately, you know, regardless of what country we live in, that, that can unfortunately happen. Uh, Susan is back with us. Uh, let's see. That was Korai, Kose. That, okay. When we were talking earlier about the the, the history of the contributions that a, a minimum tax has made, or maybe lack thereof, that was Korai's comment. So, Korai, great to have you here. Okay. So, let's keep driving, Greg. I want to talk about, let's see, where are we going next here? Uh, if I can get my mouse to operate. So, right. You and me both today, yeah. right? Tell me if you've heard this a thousand times before. Lack of computer chips have interrupted production at an automotive plant. And this is uh, the Hyundai plant in Alabama. And this is in the Montgomery area. So if you've ever driven um, you know, into Alabama from the Georgia side, kind of heading west, it's a, it's, it's, it's a gorgeous facility. Uh, lots yeah. of like green pasture land around it. I caught a couple of pictures of it on a trip a couple of years ago. And I couldn't find it. I had to use a stock image here. But uh Unfortunately, on a more serious note, this means about 800 to 900 employees out of about, they employ about 3,000 at this site. They're not going to get a paycheck this week. They're going to they're gonna shut down the plant for the whole week. Mm. So this is only the latest instance, of course, of the chip shortage challenges. Ford, Porsche, many others have had to either slow or stop production in various sites around, around the world. And I've got a couple of did you knows, Greg. Oh, boy. The first one. <laughs> Guess how many gallons of water it takes, according to Stanford, to make a single computer chip? I should probably know this after all the hubbub over how much energy it takes to mine Bitcoin, but or you know <laughs> to mine any of those coins, right? Uh, but I don't. How much is it? Ten gallons to make just a chip, just a single chip. Ten gallons, and of course, one of the challenges, wow. one of the many challenges, is Taiwan, the you know the global leader. I'll call it for the manufacturer of semiconductors and chips. They've had a, they haven't had the monsoons that they usually depend on for water. And mm -hmm. then the second, did you know, Greg, the U.S. currently only makes about 12% of the world's supply of computer chips. That's down from 37% in 1990. And I bet, if, I bet if you go back to 1980, you know, 1975, it's even, probably even higher than that. Yeah. So it's down a good bit. Um, and guess who makes the vast majority? <laughs> right. Well, right. I mean, at least they control the vast majority of production. T TSMC, is that right? The Taiwan Semiconductor Company is probably the biggest producer. Um, but a, a huge majority of the rare earth materials that are required come from the states. By the way, also something that is addressed in the Biden report, their intention is to re-ramp domestic mining 
of that. We don't have nearly enough to facilitate or, or to uh, support the entire industry, but we could do better. Agreed. And when I understand, I was diving into this rare earth uh, metals a few months back. Two things. It's tough. To, it's much like the chip production. It's very difficult to just start mining again, rare earths. And I'll leave that to the chemical pros, <laughs> the engineering pros there. And then secondly, the environmental. They're going to have to find some ways to um, yeah. contain some of that impact there. But Unbelievably like, destructive. Yeah. Right. Another little tidbit. Another did you know, Scott? Did you know that rare earth minerals are not rare? No. Rare earth is a scientific term. Right. I know. Right. It's a scientific term. So they are plentiful and they are elsewhere. It is predominantly the the environmental impact that has has curtailed production and mining in certain countries. Of course, China doesn't care anything about the environment or sustainability. So they keep on digging. <laughs> so a lot more to dive in. The, the good. I, I, I love how they, all these issues are interrelated, as they always are in global supply mm-hmm. chain. It's funny how they all tie together, isn't it? It really is. And it's really interesting, to, to, and I'll be really curious to see the action and the investment that's made in these critical industries um, here in the States moving forward. Um, call a couple Before we bring in our special guests here today, memory, that's a great question. Do they reclaim all that water? I don't know. We need to bring in a computer chip expert to see – um, you know, just how much of that 10 gallons uh, can be reused and recycled. Um, let's see here. And there's a lot of, <laughs> I'm not sure who started it, but, you know, over the weekend, we, we uh, talked a lot on social about food, right, in our insiders group. And I think we have a ton of passionistas, culinary passionistas, I'll call it, and guilty as charged mm-hmm. amongst our community. So as uh, memory says, we're going to need the insiders cook club with all this cuisine talk. Hey, memory, we're going to act on it. We're going to find a way, you know, because we, we all need to kind of unplug a bit from all the work and heavy lifting and all that stuff and enjoy each other's um, company and thoughts on other topics. So we're going to find a way to to um, uh, uh, serve this hunger for food discussion. So we'll see what we can come up with. I agree with that. Remember the early days of lockdown when everyone was having a happy hour, like four days a week? Felt like the whole industry was drunk for like four months straight. <laughs> I can't even drink that much. Uh, I'll but tell you. <laughs> you have to fake it. Yeah. Uh, um, just well, just like uh, I think, I think it's time for that, don't you, yeah. Scott? I really think it is time to kind of get together, and we're all starting to experience a little bit more freedom. I think all, most all of us, somebody will have to confirm what's going on in Canada. Yes, um, our fifty-first state. That should get us some messages, shouldn't it? <laughs> you get some comments on that one. Yeah. But hey, um, we're going to get together. We're going to enjoy yeah. your company, and we're going to talk a lot more about food. Uh, Siobhan, Siobhan, great question here, and there's a variety of, of predictions. Uh, I think Gartner uh, predicted into second quarter 2022. Easily so that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, and, and one of the challenges when, it, when we talk about computer chips, and, and Siobhan was asking about the timeline to this semiconductor shortage crisis um, is, of course, the prevalence of where they're being used everywhere else and how those folks that didn't experience that, that kind of production uh, break, uh, breaking and, and, and a hold, they kind of moved up the ladder in terms of, uh, you know, where they, where they fell on the, um, the supplier list. So, well, and I think one of the things we have to talk about, we have to talk about this, is that TSMC was ready to make semiconductors at any point 
that any car manufacturer was ready to make a commitment vis-a-vis a PO, which they refused to do. They, they um, publicly asked the semiconductor producers to, to ramp up production, but they did not make the commitment that they would actually buy them. So what do they expect? Yeah, that's a great point. And this, really- this goes to our conversation last week, Scott, with in the Transplace webinar, where we talked about that the true collaboration and the true um, integration of suppliers and and manufacturers. Yeah, that's uh, such a, a lot of great comments there. It, it really deserves a fuller conversation, but it's it's one of those many dynamics that's rapidly. Uh, causing disruption and a lot of evolution in the automotive industry. So more. Well, we can hope so. That's true. Um, okay. So no shortage of news. Those are uh, you know three stories that certainly stand out to us. But Greg, I want to bring in our featured guest here today. We've got uh, Billy Taylor. Some some of y'all may all remember. Uh, Billy's made several appearances with us. He's, he's already, as I mentioned, approaching legendary status. We enjoy his conversations here. A little background. Uh, he spent more than 30 years with the Goodyear Tire and Rubber Company. He served as director of North American Manufacturing, so he get he'd been there and done that from a manufacturing standpoint. Chief, uh, he also served as chief diversity and inclusion officer. He now serves as president and CEO with Linked Excel, and of course on the board of directors with AME. Uh, also, our co-host here for the manufacturing leadership series that we produce in partnership with AME. I want to welcome right. in Billy Taylor. Billy, good afternoon. How you doing? Good afternoon. I'm doing well. Gentlemen, how are you doing? doing Much great. better now that you're here. Thank you. Uh, I don't know about that. We'll see. We'll have fun at least. That's right. <laughs> well, hey, I'm already a few minutes behind. So uh, Yeah, I feel like we've delayed this, haven't we? I'm sorry. I, I went on a rant, Billy. You know how likely that is. Uh, no problem. No problem at all. I'm holding back the Billy Taylor production line, so don't send me any charge chargeback uh, invoices. <laughs> but um, you know, we, we gotta keep it simple. And I really appreciate you know Greg, Greg and I and the whole team really enjoyed your just straightforward um, perspective in these conversations with some great humor. You got a great sense of humor. Really enjoyed that. So I kind of just want to throw it out there. If if you think about uh, the pulse of the global manufacturing community and, and certainly manufacturing leadership. What's two or three things that, that that these folks have to be thinking about or dealing with? You name it. Well, it's interesting. I'll tell you, Scott, being out there in the industry now, I've been out during the pandemic working with companies, right, global companies uh, around how to sustain, right, instead of going under. Uh, in the shadow of COVID-19 pandemic, it'll continue to loom large over manufacturing and impacting a trend. So the number one trend that I've seen is, building supply chain resilience, right? The, the volatility right now in the market, uh, as manufacturers got, uh, evaluate where and when to recalibrate their global production footprint, right? You talked about the chips, uh, the lack and shortage of chips. That impacts your supply chain. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the early days of the pandemics, we saw many manufacturers create these so-called war rooms. Right. Everybody come in the room with their tablets and and they're going to so-called do the whiteboard exercise uh, today. Uh, that That's not that's not enough. Mm-hmm. And so one of the emerging trends right now is, is how to automate that process uh, with a di- digital supply chain network so you can see it. Uh, it brings a new meaning to operational excellence. Right. What's that visibility to 
that you can look at and gauge when to pull certain level levers to drive your supply chain network. Uh, and, you know, that that's going to take some digital investment. Right. It's a new world now. That's right. That, and okay. we're, we're not going back to that old world. It's not right. going to happen. It's going to take a ton of investment. And, and I like what, you know, Nikki kind of echoes some of what you're saying. Business continuity has become even more challenging and even more important. Now, one quick comment. So Nikki joined us as part of our um, uh, supply chain leadership across Africa series. And we just dropped the replay of that, Greg, today. And there's mm-hmm. a great moment, um, Billy and Greg, where Nikki's like, dude, dude really? <laughs> so y'all check out that replay. Billy, I knew you get a kick out of that. But but um, but back to the point, it's going to take a lot of investment. And Greg, I want to I get you to kind of react to what Billy's sharing there. This, you know, digital twins, digital transformation, you name it, whatever you want to call it. We got a long way to go, don't we, Greg? We do. I mean, and, and I'm encouraged, Billy, to hear you say that companies are committing to change because uh, it's not that's not being seen universally and. I think that will define the winners and losers going forward. You know, we talked last week with Laura Ciceri, uh and Billy. She was not she was not nearly seeing what you're seeing, and I am actually seeing companies backsliding. Mm. They're already going. Whew! I'm glad that whole thing is over. Let's go back to business as usual, or as as Gary said, best practice, the way we've always done things. Um, <laughs> So I think that's probably the challenge is there will be those companies who continue to invest in digital transformation and process transformation and human transformation. And there will be those who kind of ride the fence a bit. And there will be those who ultimately suffer because they go back to business as usual. I I think, Billy, and I'd love to get your thought on this. I think it's not even that we'll see more disruption. It's just that that disruption will be more reported. And we got in this industry what we asked for, which was a seat at the table and recognition and awareness. And that seat at the table and recognition recognition and awareness has put us in the limelight of companies just like sales organizations have been. And we better be ready to deliver rather than make excuses as some supply chains have done. Wow. Your thought? I agree. It's critical. Uh, when I say that, I've often talked about you can't manage a secret. And you talk about now it's in the spotlight, right? right. So now that secret's exposed. And so companies, and I'm going to say to exist mm-hmm. in the business world, they're going to have to adapt or they're going to succumb. You know, uh, Scott, I heard you talk about digital twins and those that are in the audience, in the, in the, audience, in the simplest form, uh, a digital twin is a representation of, of, a, of a blueprint or a physical thing. Uh, that thing can be a product, a process, or a component. Mm-hmm. And so in the new world, what that does is it creates this demonstration so you can look into the future almost with your product, with your processes. And so that's that's the change that's happening now. It's the new way of operational excellence. Yeah. Right. And now, because the workplace in itself is changing, Along with, Greg, that spotlight you're talking about, mm-hmm. right? So it's that marriage now that has to happen. And if it doesn't happen, you're going to see manufacturing companies going out of business. However, the companies that I've seen to be very successful, um, like MD Products and, 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 and other companies like 
continental structural plastics that I've seen, they're adopted to adopting to this new way mm. to get ahead of it. So they're not they're not as Greg says some of the companies he's been seeing, Laura's been seeing others. I'm glad that's over. We can go back to the old fashioned. And on along that point, Nerfad says, darn, I was hoping we can go back to the good old cave days. Things were so much more simple back then. Everything was near shore. Sticks, branches, wood, water, meat, you name it. So good yeah. stuff there, Nerfad. But Greg, you're, you're yeah, always with the comedy spin, but always with brilliance also. I mean, if we want things to be simple, if we want them to be the way they were, we have to go back basically to cave cave dweller days, right? Absolutely. You know, we, I talk about that frequently, that the supply chain is simple. It's consumer demands that are complex. The Absolutely. supply chain is, I have an extra apple. Scott wants it. He gives me an arrowhead for it. Beginning of supply chain, right? <laughs> That's right. Uh, but that. then Scott wants the apple out of season, or I realize that there's more people in, in the village next door and I go set up a stand at the marketplace or whatever. And that is where the complexity comes in, is in responding to and serving the consumer. So we have to acknowledge those complexities and that they are with us forever, right? Yes. And, and I think, you know, and to Billy, Billy, to your point, I think because you are a transformation consultant, you are, I think the dynamic is you're much more likely to see those companies that are actually trying to make a transition. I was talking to our buddy Luke Smile the other day, and uh, he's the, he sees the same thing. He sees companies committing to digital and process transformation, and that's because that's what he does. What Laura does is she analyzes every company out there, and she cuts through the rhetoric to the real action, as Scott says, the deeds, not words. And and she sees a broad, broad spectrum. Now, I, I don't know what the balance is, and I'm sure we'll find out over time. But, you know, we're always going, you know, many of us are going to fake. I kind of see the middle, right? Some companies that are that are trying to succeed or excel, I should say, and others that are backsliding, as I said. And um, I think we'll all see different things depending on our, on our position in the marketplace. And the key is to maintain a macro perspective on this, but also be aware of those companies that are changing for the better. Because I don't think any of us disagree, Billy, you, me, Scott, Laura, any of us disagree that those companies that are engaging and embracing trans transformation are the ones that will be successful. Agreed. Hey, Darwin is alive and well in in uh, the industry space, right? Regardless of whatever challenge, yeah, or time frame we're living in or, or fighting through, um, you're going to have, as, as Greg put it, winners and losers. I like this notion of a mobile backstop, you know, right? So as we as we make gains, we got to lock them in, right? So that we can then make more gains and then lock them in. Mm, I like that. Yeah, um, I, I want to share two comments, and then Billy, I'm going to come back to you and, and get kind of your next thought here. Memory says automation shouldn't simply be a substitution for overall OPEX or operational excellence and efficiency. It should be tied to overall strategic goals. It should balance user adoption and behavioral change. Memory, man, might drop. Good to have you back. Yeah, yeah. I love that. <laughs> and then Simon says, I've, I've implemented old school tools and now am involved in digital twin solutions. And it is revelation, revolution. Uh, get it or be gone. Wow. Amen. All right. So, Billy, uh, what else is on your, on your mind and what else is on, you think, manufacturing leaders' minds right now? Well, one, I want to go back to memories come, come in. Home run. 
Mm-hmm. All one, right? When you look at automation, it, it's not the one one size fits all. Right now, it helps with right. How do you 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 master complexity with simplicity? Right, and 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 how do you break that down through the human element? The people will tell you what needs to happen if leaders have the courage as well as the humility to go ask. Right, I often say egos erode effectiveness, mm. and so those egos get in place. Those three. And, you know, you look at our phones, right? I'm sure all of us have one of these. Right here. It's very complicated, right? But it's very simple. As you look at what changed in my day, I had to sit in the kitchen uh, with the phone with the cord to talk. I wasn't going on a trip. I needed a map, right? And, and most millennials, they don't even know what a yellow page is, right? Because it's all simple now, right? It's not less complicated. So the people element are the ones that are driving change. And so that goes into uh, one of the, the third trends when I talk adapting to the new workplace. Boy, have we heard a bit about that in the last few weeks, Billy. Oh, my gosh. And, people and, and, are quitting in droves. They don't want to go back to the office. Apple and, and um, gosh, I can't even remember. One of the other big Silicon Valley companies mm-hmm. are facing an absolute mutiny over forcing people to go back to the office, right? Absolutely. And, and I'm not downgrading anyone when I make this statement. It's just more so impact. You know what? To work at McDonald's, there's a sign-on bonus now. Mm-hmm. Right? Think about that, 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 that talent pool now. And one of the two components that I see that are driving this, people think it's just uh, COVID. It has some some impact, but however, psychological safety and physical safety are the two things that are driving that right now. And, and, and right, do, 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 do people feel companies really care for them or have their best interests at heart? Yeah. All right. You know, I, I used to say when I was a young, young plant manager, when I was looking for just the numbers, right? Round and black and out the back when I was making tires. Just make them round and black and out the back, right? And <laughs> Now, it's a different world, right? Yeah. I, I have to go people first. Make people visible. They'll make you valuable. Yeah. Right? How do you create that psychological safe space? Because uh, disruption in manufacturing industry now, the disruption is going to increase, right? That platform, Greg, we talk about that volatility, mm-hmm. that's impacting the workforce. Mm. Yeah. At, at the lowest point. Yeah. And, and, you know, we have talked in the past few weeks. This was one of the many times I've wished you were here to help us commentate on this. We talked about the challenge that manufacturing. Uh, I'm going to give you three letters, Billy, but the challenge that manufacturing has seen in terms of getting people to come to work, not only because they're being paid to stay home by the government, but also because of the three D's of manufacturing. It's perceived as dark, dirty and dangerous. Right. And that is a huge challenge, especially for these younger generations. They don't want that. Right. They don't want that kind of work environment. And that's a real challenge for manufacturing. How have you seen? I'm just curious. And forgive me if I'm throwing you a curveball here. But how have you seen companies kind of tackle that? This is going to be I'm not going to say it's going to be shocking, but women in the workplace and the manufacturing sector is changing. That footprint is changing and better results are happening. 
<laughs> Rosie the Riveter. You mean like more women I, getting I, into manufacturing? Absolutely. Awesome. Absolutely. When I walk into plants right now, it is a diverse workforce. I mean, at the point of execution. And I believe what's driving it is now companies have to now re-architect the work. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's thinking of the person first, not only the work. Now they have to re-architect the workforce. Yeah. And their, their operating systems around operational excellence and lean manufacturing no longer can be centered on tools, the tool-based sector. It has to incorporate the people-based sector because what I'm learning now, I'm being constantly educated as I interact now with the new type of workforce. Right? It's a different way of thinking, uh, a different way of being efficient, a different way of managing disruptions. Right. Uh, and so that's what I'm seeing now. Um, this workforce, it, it, it looks different. It's not this male-dominated workforce in more yeah. manufacturing. And so therefore, and Greg, you go back to dark, then companies need to do something about their perception, uh, meaning change the lighting. Yeah, no kidding. Right? <laughs> and and right. change it. You know, one of the things we're focusing now on um, in the new way of manufacturing is KPAs rather than KPIs. Okay. So now KPA, most people want to jump right into a leading indicator. No, a leading action that I'm going to red green the action. So if I want to lose weight, right? If I stand on the scale, that's a KPI. Yeah. It's too late. If I look at did I eat right? Did I sleep? Did I drink fluids? If I do all of those things, then I'm going to get the results. Yeah. Right. And so that's the new workforce. And what I'm learning, um, one of the operators, a group of young ladies said, Mr. Taylor, at the start of our shift, instead of doing a huddle, a shift huddle, let's walk around our unit and make sure that we we did not uh, identify any unsafe conditions. They turned that red or green. Mm, there you go. Inequality alerts or inequality situations, red or green. And if they're red, the manager is required to come over and work for them instead of them working for the manager. Hey, hey. <laughs> it's a different mindset now. Yeah. And what we're seeing is these massive jumps of productivity, minimum at 8% to 20% that are sustained. But it's the it's re-architecting the way we operate. Mm. So much uh so many different things, follow-up questions and comments there and what, what Billy just shared. I, I just want to touch on one thing, and, and Greg would love to gain your comment here in a minute, but the rate of change. I think it's so important, uh, especially technology fueling this rate of change. It's getting faster and faster. A little bit of context. So we did a uh, This Week in Business History podcast, dropped it today, and one of the things we talked about, Greg and Billy, was the uh, Univac, right? The Univac was the first commercially produced electronic digital computer. Now, the U.S. Census Bureau purchased the Univac in 1951. It replaced technology that had been rolled out for the 1890 census. So they bought it to... to um, so what was that? Pen and paper? Uh, some kind of... Some kind of uh, Oil pens and... Something like that. And parchment. But, so it replaced 60-year-old technology, Greg and Billy. Yeah. And then it lasted just 12 years before it was donated to the Smithsonian. And of course, that is, you know, so that was the 50s and 60s. 
these yeah. days, Greg, and I know you're you're a technologist. Um, um, I mean, I don't know how the shelf life just because of the innovations and the change and the yeah. needs. I mean, you, you get something in, you implement it, and then you blink, and it's got to be yeah. updated, replaced, right, Greg? Yeah, it's obsolete almost by the time it's built. I see that so often. In fact, I talk to institutes of higher learning often that, you know, they have been traditionally a decade or more behind because of the rigor that has to go through the verification of the curriculum that they teach. And that's a real problem for universities right now is that, you know, the curriculum that they're teaching is well out of date by the time they get it in front of the student. And, you know, and that's just one example, Scott, but I think, yeah, I think there's a, um, the pace of change is so rapid. I got to tell you too, the pace of work is so, I don't know if you, you guys feel it. I know a lot of people who do, and a lot of people who are in, in the stream here who do the pace of work is, seems to be never ending. And I, I must confess, Billy, that I often, admire, look back fondly on the days when I did a job that was over when it was over, right? I mean, you know, as a farm kid bucking hay bales, it nearly killed me every day. But at at five o'clock or seven, whatever, whenever we were done, I didn't have to think about it again until the next morning. I think there is some solace in, in both that kind of work and because our society has changed so dramatically, the satisfaction of actually building something physical that you can see. Mm. Billy, the work that we do here, we don't see the result. We see the actions that, you know, that lead to results. Of course, if you go in and change somebody's processes or get them to update their technology, of course, things happen. But, you know, we don't see something built, right? In technology, we don't physically see something built. I think there is a certain human need for those kinds of things. And to me, that's one of the things that I really, I really envy about the manufacturing industry. The job is on when it's on, it's off when it's off, and you've built something at the end of the day. Right. And there's a sense of attachment with that, right? That sense of belonging, that sense of impact. Um, That's what that brings. And, 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 And I agree when I was in manufacturing, I call it if I made my ticket, that means the customer orders every day, and I could go out there and see that. I walk out with this massive smile on my face. Yeah. It's a scoreboard. It's like I'm celebrating, right? Today, it's a little different. Uh, and, and society's different. That's when we go back to the new modern workforce, right? The, the millennials, the new workforce, they live and work at the same time. Right. Right? They're instantly fed on break. So they have a different thing that excites them than what we had, right? Uh, I, I recently uh, was, uh, my nephew got married and I was watching the young, uh, his, his and her young peers and their courtship. It's a lot different now, right? <laughs> my son came over and he goes, dad, when you're recording mom, when you're recording my mom, right? You had to call her on the phone and you had to go out and take her out to dinner and you had to do all this. Dad, I do Instagram, Dad. I, you know, I don't ask for a number. <laughs> it's, it, it, right? Society's moving. My son's living and working at the same time. So how yeah. do I stimulate that? How do I capture that in this new way of doing business? Yeah. Uh, one of the clients I work with, the employee of the month, 
And it's it's measured on celebrating the process, not the individual. Mm. Right? You embrace the individual. So this person was a process expert and the company won some quality award. The person was barely 21 that came up with most of the ideas. Mm. And it was amazing how she won from a cultural perspective and she, she identified the massive Hispanic workforce and said, all of our work instructions need to be in both English and Spanish because we have a blended workforce. Mm-hmm. And I'm wasting a lot of my time trying to go coach others when they can coach themselves. So let's do video training, multilingual. This is this 20-year-old I'm listening. I'm like, you really need to be listening to her, not me. Mm. <laughs> She's the expert. Yeah, sometimes right. just that facilitation and, and getting that those ideas and those observations out. I mean, th- these folks are are experts so much more than what oftentimes they think, right, Billy? Right. The call out too. It's like me being a football player. Right? You let me keep telling the story. The older I get, the better I was. Right? <laughs> if I'm going to tell that story, that five yard play is now sixty yards. Right? right. If the older I get, right? Because now. You know, Billy Taylor is not the expert out there. Billy Taylor, what I tell people, I walk in with an open mind to get the best ideas from people. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't walk in as a know-it-all. Right. And so when I'm building my operation systems, I seek to learn. You know, and, and, and when I talk to young people, I, and I talk when I ran North America, I said I had 13 degrees. Right. And I said, well, Billy, you're pretty smart. I said, no, I earned two. I hired 11. I use all 13, right? I'm I'm constantly challenging people to come to the table, but you have to create that safe space where people can put the damn fish on the table. Yeah. I love that. Billy, uh, we never have enough time with you here. Um, And and there's so much more when it comes to manufacturing and and news of the day and and what's going on in industry uh, than what we have time for. But what I do want to, uh, there, there's great resources for that. And one of them where you're going to have, I think two and a half days or se- at least several days of uh, best practice sharing, Greg, best practice sharing, lots of conversations about what's going on across the manufacturing industry. And that is the many, the um, AME everywhere international conference, right? It's a big annual conference. AME puts on this one is in October. And I think we've got the link in the show notes, but Billy, what's one thing, that you're looking forward to this year's uh, from this year's conference? Even if it's virtual, it's, it's the interaction and the practical examples of how people leverage tools, processes, and systems to drive excellence. And it's different looks, right? Often people get caught up in the mindset of Toyota. The environment in Toyota was different than your environment. And so mm-hmm. what you see at AME is, getting those practical tools in different applications to fit your culture. And now you get the practical examples, the practical leaders. You develop the network with those leaders. Uh, Scott, you often ask me, how do you get in contact with me? And I say LinkedIn. And every time someone writes me, I write them back personally. Now, they would have never had that network had I not been on the show. Right? And so things I'll talk about, they'll reach out. And, and at some point during the week, I write every single person back. You will build those type of networks when you go out there to AME. Uh, not only networks, practical solutions. Uh, it's important. Uh, we did the AME Australia. We did a people-driven um, 
How? And it came back overwhelming response. We gave practical tools on how do you manage the new workforce. Mm, love that. How do you tap into? So that's what you'll get. It's a great event. Um, it's where I cut my teeth, you know, and, and so I learned a lot. I continue to learn a lot there. So I will be showing up as a student, not as a know-it-all. Love that. Love mm-hmm. that. Um, uh, so look forward to that. Of course, as Billy mentioned, you can find him on LinkedIn. We'd encourage that. He has a great social connection and connection in general. Uh, he's got a book in the works. Hopefully I didn't let that cat out of the bag, Billy, but that's going to be a home run. <laughs> Uh, if you like his conversations here, be sure. When do you think it'd be publishing? If you had to just kind of ballpark it, when do you think? Well, my manuscript actually hits the desk uh, in October, first part of October. Uh, we're going back and forth because we want it to be something practical. I'm not writing a book to write a book. It has real stories in there around how I failed, mm. not just how to do it. Here's how I failed and here's how we overcame that. And then so, uh, and it's around linking your whole organization. So in October, that uh, I give them the manuscript, and then we start talking about how do I go out and, I guess, sell the book, right, promote the book. So. <laughs> we'll have a lot more ideas and, and best practices perhaps around that. But, um, Billy, always a pleasure. I really uh, appreciate uh, your perspective each time you join us. I love your give back via AME and some of the other things you're doing. And uh, we're going to see you next month with our next um, – Manufacturing Leadership Series. So Billy Taylor with Linked Excel, and of course, a member of the board of directors with our friends at the Association for Manufacturing Excellence. Thank you, Billy. Thank you for having me, and have a great week, everyone. All righty. Thanks. Good seeing you, Billy. All right, Greg. Man, I'd like to follow him around on his travels uh, and, and see some of the interactions he has with with folks in manufacturing, just folks along the way. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, he's got this rule. I think maybe he, you were on the first show with us. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Billy Taylor rule is if someone is within uh, three feet, they're going to get definitely get a hello, and they're probably going to get a hug. And I think he lives that uh, advice. So You can go back to that now. That's good. Yeah. Hey, that's a great point. It, well, I'm thinking about all the huggers we know that are, you know, so, probably coming out of their shell. <laughs> right. So, uh, and all the non-huggers that have really enjoyed <laughs> right. the past few months. But yeah. hey, I, w- I want to shift gears. So, of course, Billy, uh, Billy Taylor, y'all connect with him on LinkedIn at a minimum. A lot of good stuff there. I can't wait to, to get a copy of his book, too. Um, but, Greg, I want to shift gears as we start to wind down. You've got a big live stream next week. Yeah. Right? Uh, yeah. With Take Your Shot. So, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so uh, we're we're bringing back Take Your Shot, which we're going to do monthly, um, where we're going to bring in two to three uh, founders of companies, and they're going to get three minutes. If you remember, and I'm sure Peter Bolay remembers from April, because when we didn't do it in May, he was he was like, "Hey, where'd that thing go?" Um, so um, when when um, they get three minutes and that's it. Three minutes and zero seconds to pitch their company's value proposition to uh, accredited investors, founders, and persons of interest in the tech ecosystem. So this coming week, we have Verison, which uh, full disclosure, I'm on the advisory board for, and Balaji, who is one of our um, one of our judges, Balaji Gopanath, who was on the show in April. 
he is um, an investor in the company as well. Um, and if I can score it, because I'm going to be in Wichita, by the way, Scott, with our good friend and founder of National Supply Chain Day, Mary Kate Love, and Dan Kerr, who is also an investor in Verison, just imagine Paul Noble getting up and pitching his company, right? With all these people who are so tightly involved in his company, I would be, I would rather pitch to a room of complete strangers who are, you know, who, who are deciding whether to give me money than the people who really know me. Um, but Paul at Verison, um, Cognit Ops, which is a unique WMS technology, and Jason Perez, who has been on the show, been on Tequila Sunrise before, from Yards, what an amazing transition. I just had lunch with him a week or so ago. What an amazing transition that company has gone through. They have gone through and this will be a point of interest for anyone who's followed them at all. They've gone through the dreaded, though in their case, uh, very necessary and accretive pivot that so many uh, small and early stage companies go through. So big upside for that company now. They found a strong market. It's going to be really, really interesting. So I love it. Charles. Take your shot. Uh, it's noon, June 23rd. Right, Wednesday, June twenty third. I will be in Wichita, Kansas, at Groover Labs, and broadcasting from there. And we may, Bology will be in the same spot as I will. And Dan Kerr, if we can, and and Mary Kate, if they can make it, they are certainly invited. If they can make it, we will could all be in the same view for uh, Paul and the other founders to pitch. But that's it. They're going to pitch their company for three minutes, and then they're going to hear from. The official judges and maybe just anyone who has an opinion. And if you have an opinion, you in in the stream, I want to hear it. That's right. Charles says it sounds like therapy, Greg. Uh, <laughs> it's payback for somebody who's had to do pitch so many times is what it is. <laughs> That's right. LA, hey, the Opus finds you well. Yes, it's going to be live via Supply Chain Now. It's a Tequila yeah. Sunrise production, but you can find it right here in the Supply Chain uh, Now channel. So tune in. We'd love to get you. Uh, your take throughout the uh, the session. And going way back to uh, Billy, David says, just following Billy Taylor around would be a learning experience, just an interaction. Mm. I agree with you, David. Yeah. Um, and and it's, it's so genuine. Y'all, it, the same Billy you see here in front of uh, the camera, so to speak, is the same Billy you see in, in the sidebar conversations. It's very genuine and uh, an authentic leader. So I love that. But Greg, uh, take your shot. It's going to be big. Uh, love those conversations. You learn so much, whether you're uh, a founder or a wannabe founder, or uh, if you've just a casual observer. I mean, right. you know, look, whether you're in tech or not, learning how to pitch your concept in three minutes is absolutely transformational to your own understanding of your business, not just the people that you're pitching, because you have to distill it down to its most salient points to tell somebody everything they need to know about your company in three minutes. Yeah. Great point. Great. It's point. pressure. Let me tell you a lot of pressure, but uh, a lot of fun too. So looking forward to that next week, mark your calendars, folks. We'll, we'll go live at 12 noon, June 23rd. That's a Wednesday. So a week from this Wednesday. Okay. So Greg jam packed. We're a few minutes over. Uh, on this Manufacturing Monday edition of the Supply Chain Buzz. Hey, folks, make sure you check out. We try to make it easy. A lot of things we talked about are in the show notes. Uh, make sure you click. Make sure you connect. 
and make sure we hear from you. Let us know what you think about our programming. Of course, we'd love to earn your reviews. If you're listening to this on a podcast replay or if you listen somewhere other, <laughs> that's right. Um, but uh, regardless, most importantly, thanks so much for all the participation support yeah. and the engagement, right? That's the, that's the secret sauce in this journey we're on. Um, stay tuned. Cause I tell you, I, I, we're talking with Amanda, Greg, over the weekend, we're going to, we are going to create some kind of, of group or channel for folks to, um, you know, kind of take a load off, take, take the shoes off and, and, um, you know, engage on some, on some fun topics, some non, that idea. non supply chain topics. So, so stay tuned. And, uh, most importantly, folks have a w- big, wonderful week, wherever yeah. you are do good, Greg, right? Give forward, Greg. And most importantly, be the change that is needed. Especially that. Yes. Amen. And on that note, we'll see you next time right here on Supply Chain. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for being a part of our Supply Chain Now community. Check out all of our programming at SupplyChainNow.com and make sure you subscribe to Supply Chain Now anywhere you listen to podcasts. And follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time on Supply Chain Now. Supply Chain Now.